Well, hello and welcome to another session of the World's Health Summit. Right now, our next speaker, Chris Toe, is, um, well, he's a, he's a student, a PhD student right now, but the thing is, he's actually in the frontier of all the technology uh, that, that he's studying all about that. So that's the reason why I'm so excited to be able to interview you today, Chris, because you're you're studying the frontier of all of our medical advances. So, so great to have you here. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, so um, tell us a little bit about your background and then let's dive into your, your, your studies and your clinical. Uh, yeah, so I did my undergraduate degree at uh, UCLA, um, studying bioengineering and decided to pursue a doctorate degree a couple years ago. And now I'm at UC Irvine, specifically looking at genetics and how our genetics affects our health. Um, because uh, we know that you know DNA and all those things make up who we are, um, but it does actually affect our health quite a bit. Um, and in the past, we haven't really been able to learn much about it, but the new advances in technology have given us access to a lot more information. Right, and you know what? It's funny, but we always either blame our genes for, <laughs> we blame our genes for our bad memory, we blame our genes for all the, the bad things, and then we take credit for all the good things, right? So, <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> but then how, I mean, what, how does genetic affect um, who we are? Yeah, so um, there's a lot about genetics that we do not know, <laughs> um, but we do know that um, the genetics is what uh, tells our body how to grow, how to, like what eye color we have, what hair color we have, how tall we get. Um, but it also does affect what diseases we might be at risk for. And um, familial diseases uh, are a really big part of healthcare. So um, understanding your, your genetics is very important to helping you make informed decisions about uh, what treatments may work best for you even. So yeah, it's, it's very important. And I think uh, the genes that we carry are obviously from our parents. Um, but we don't necessarily know too much about our family background. And some people might not know anything at all, depending on um, what their family situation is, but it does, uh, could increase your risk for certain diseases. See, this is something I don't get because I thought that mm -hmm. gene uh, genetics, that's something you're born with. So there's nothing we can do about it, but apparently there's a lot we can do about it. So please share with us. Yeah, yeah. So um, there is a very interesting uh, area in research right now uh, called epigenetics. Um, and it's just basically a fancy word for saying um, how your genes are expressed. So just because you have a gene, it doesn't necessarily mean that your body is actively using that gene. And part of the reason is because uh, there's a lot of evidence, at least in the scientific field now, that um, our lifestyle can actually affect what genes are being used. Um, so just because you inherit a potentially good gene or a potentially uh, bad gene, it doesn't necessarily mean your body is actively using it because um, the way you are engaging in your lifestyle, this, the different stresses you might undergo, it can actually affect whether or not your body starts um, using these genes. And the reason people are very interested in that is because cancer might be one of those. Um, so cancer is obviously a very big disease that, um, you know, we've probably all at least 
known someone or had a family member who has had some form of cancer uh, within their lifetime. And um, it should be also important to note that cancer is actually a lot of different diseases, but that all kind of act the same way. And um, as we've kind of looked into what causes these diseases, we found that um, lifestyle does play a very big role in whether or not you get cancer. Um, so just because you inherit genetics and you can't necessarily change that, it doesn't mean you can't prevent the risk. Um, so that's very important to know. Uh, that's good news. <laughs> that is such a good news because uh, even though we were born, let's say, with uh, with uh, defective or any problems, I mean, like you said, that our lifestyle totally have a big influence on whether those genes are expressed or not. Um, and, and that's why I remember when I was studying um, uh, genetics, that was my favorite course in school because it's so it's so interesting to see dominant genes and then recessive genes and mm -hmm. and then also like all that world is so fascinating so it's, yeah. you're studying that that's a lot of fun um in terms of test is there anything that we can do to find out how our genes are doing like is it good is it bad is there a test like that for us to check out um so there are a lot of different genetic tests um but they are usually very specific so um, it's very important to consult with your physician first to know whether or not um, you might have a risk first. So an example is if you know someone in your family has like certain diseases or like a blood relative has had like cancer, for instance, like some type of cancer, um, that might be a good indication that you could potentially be at risk. And you can maybe talk to your physician about if there's an existing genetic test to identify whether or not you have a risk. Um, and having that knowledge is super important because um, A, you can do some lifestyle changes to hopefully reduce that risk, but also you can get screening more frequently and earlier. Because what we do know about um, people who do get cancer is that the earlier you catch it, the better the results are. So if you start treatment earlier in cancer, um, you're more likely to go into remission and be cured of cancer. Um, but catching it late is uh, very, very difficult um, to cure. So um, there are definitely a lot of different tests. Um, some of them are available um, clinically within your doctor. Um, and a lot of companies now are doing, I'm sure you've probably heard of like 23andMe or Ancestry.com. So those tests typically tell you more about um, your um, ethnic background and your, uh, you know, your family history, but they do also offer some generic tests about disease risk. Um, obviously, uh, those tests may not be as accurate, um, so it's always best to double check with um, other tests and to make sure you have um, kind of like a second opinion, so to speak. Are they expensive, these genetics tests? It will really depend on the test. I think for the generic test, they are usually around 50 to $100 US dollars. Um, and then for the more specific tests uh, at the clinical setting, they might get upwards of 1000 to $2,000, depending on how much your health insurance uh, covers. So that's why it's also very important to consult with your physician to uh, see whether or not you actually should get these tests. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. 
And then in terms of um, who who should be getting these tests, like uh, like you said mentioned earlier, people who have blood relatives in the family who have certain conditions, and here you are being proactive, getting tested first so that you can change the outcome of all of that based on your lifestyle. But mm -hmm. other than other than that, if we were if we don't feel good, if there's something uh, that doesn't uh, feel uh, normal, is that a good sign for us to go get tested? Um, so it would depend on. Uh, so for some diseases, uh, you should always go to your doctor. Like if you have chest pain or something like that, that's probably more indicative of like a heart-related disease. Um, so those getting genetic testing might not necessarily help, especially if you're already experiencing symptoms. Um, usually if you're experiencing symptoms at that point, like the genetic testing is more of a verification for the doctors so that they know how to treat you. But uh, getting the testing earlier is always better because you have the information ahead of time. And then that can translate. Um, so the way I would uh, say it is that if you have uh, any suspicion that there's something that might be running in your family, you should probably think about getting a test just so you know. But at the same time, um, you have to weigh the benefits of the finances of getting a test, as well as also just the emotional health that you might have, um, knowing that knowledge. Um, because knowing that you carry a gene doesn't mean that you'll get the disease, but that can also affect, um, you know, stress in your life and just like knowing that that's a possibility. So people really just have to make that decision for themselves. Um, but having the knowledge earlier is usually better because you can screen earlier. So in the event that it does happen, your, your likelihood of um, overcoming that disease is a lot higher. Right. So what can you learn from a genetic test? Yeah, um, so you can learn a lot of things. Um, the first off is you can learn a lot about your family history. Um, it's pretty interesting because um, as more and more people are getting these tests um, with artificial intelligence and machine learning and just the population-wide data sets that we have, we're actually getting a better understanding of people's ethnic background. Um, so you might learn that uh, you thought you were, you know, for instance, like Chinese, but really you're uh, a mixture of like Chinese and like Mongolian or like Chinese and Japanese. And um, that, that is always interesting. So like that is one way you could use a test. Um, the other one is to diagnose a disease. So uh, if there is, um, if the doctor suspects that it might be a hereditary based disease, um, there are tests that can test for that very specific disease. And that gives the doctors and the physicians um, information on how to best treat that disease. Um, so the other thing is to determine the severity of the disease. Um, because there are a lot of, the, when we talk about complex diseases, um, it's not usually one gene that causes the disease. Um, there are diseases where it is like a single gene mutation that can cause the disease, but most of these diseases are very, very complicated, and they could be a combination of um, gene mutations that you might have. So say you have maybe three of the five, that is obviously a, a higher risk than only having one of the five genes. Um, so yeah, those are some of the ways that those genetic tests can be used.
Um, what is your, so, I mean, when you study in your studies and in your research, mm-hmm. have you seen a lot of um, uh, new diseases or complex diseases that's, that's happening right now as, as the world changes? Uh, I'm not sure about um, new diseases per se, but uh, we have increased our understanding of existing diseases. So for a long time, um, taking cancer as an example, um, it was thought that like cancer was obviously a genetic disease, but in the scientific community, it was unclear if it was um, because of you know smoking, for instance, for lung disease, or if it was uh, purely like genes that you inherited. And what we've kind of noticed is that um, the way people's genes are expressed and also how many copies of a gene they have actually can be used to predict whether or not people will get cancer. Um, So a lot of my research is looking at large numbers of genetic information from, you know, half a million people and seeing what the trends are. And we've kind of noticed that uh, a lot of Cancers especially are um, inherited to some degree, but are also affected by um, the expression levels of the genes themselves. And um, as we've looked at other diseases, like um, for instance, Alzheimer's, um, that is also uh, been a thing people have been looking at because it seems that Alzheimer's might actually be uh, strongly linked to genetics as well. And it's very unclear how much of it is because there's kind of a consensus that not everyone gets Alzheimer's and it's not just a disease of age um, because there's people who get what's called early onset Alzheimer's. And that seems to be very strongly linked to um, genetic diseases or other mental illnesses such as like schizophrenia. So all of those things are somehow linked and it's unclear right now to what degree genes play in it, but the evidence is kind of growing that genetics may play a part in it. Right. Can you give us some examples of complex diseases? Yeah, so a complex disease um, is basically any disease that uh, we're not entirely sure um, how it begins. Um, So taking Alzheimer's as an example, um, there's a lot of genes that are associated with Alzheimer's but just because you have that gene, it doesn't mean you will get Alzheimer's. It does increase your risk. Um, so when we say complex disease, we're, we're not talking about diseases like hemophilia. Like hemophilia is a disease where we know that there is one specific gene that if a person has this gene, they will get hemophilia. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, those diseases are what we would call, um, I guess, Uh, straightforward diseases or simple diseases. Um, But the complex diseases are the ones where just because you have a mother who has the disease or just because you have a father who has the disease, it doesn't necessarily mean that the child will get the disease. Um, And it's unclear why that is the case, (laughs) but there is evidence that within those families that the the risk of, uh, say, a cousin or a second cousin getting the disease is actually higher. So... Wow. Um, well, so, okay, so so literally, like you said, with complex diseases, we just don't know. We could have that genes, and the other person could have that genes, but two of us, one could be healthy and one would be sick. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that case, what can we do 
to reduce the risk of of complex diseases and 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 not having the disease it, itself yeah so um the biggest thing is uh there's always this debate within science of how much is inherited and how much is in your your environment and how you live your life um so as an example for lung cancer there's a lot of people who may smoke for years and they don't get cancer until way later on whereas there might be people who smoke for a couple of years and they get lung cancer very quickly um so obviously don't smoke <laughs> That, that's one start. Um, but also um, exercising uh, daily helps a lot because there's been a lot of evidence where um, by exercising, you actually activate certain genes that uh, basically promote what's called uh, cell death, programmed cell death, where you have cells that are old in your body. And normally your body will actually kill these cells to replace them with new ones that work correctly. However, if you are not exercising, you're not dieting correctly, um, your body uh, doesn't always remove these cells that are bad. And if these cells are lingering around in your body, um, the chance that they become a tumor is a lot higher. Um, additionally, um, we know for a fact that in cancer specifically, uh, lots of glucose or sugar um, is what they like. Like tumors really like glucose and sugar. So in the American diet, especially, um, we have a lot of excess sugar in our diet. And the, the sugar actually can feed tumor growth. Um, so by reducing your sugar intake, um, not all of it, because you do need glucose for your brain to function, but um, excess sugar especially is incredibly important and that will dramatically reduce your risk in itself, so. Wow. Um and because of your studies, like uh, with your research and all, what are the most, what are the, what are you excited about right now? Like in your research, tell us about the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think that um, genetics testing is going to become more and more commonplace in uh, the clinical setting. Um, the, the greatest thing that's happening right now is what's kind of called the genetic revolution. Um, maybe around 2008. Uh, we had the ability to quickly sequence entire human genomes in about a day or two. And that has actually fundamentally just changed the landscape of genetics and biology because we actually have more information now than we know what to do with. Um, some of the databases that I'm working with are in terabytes or petabytes of data, which is almost unfathomable sometimes. And um, we have to develop new techniques to handle this and actually get information that is useful for us so that we can know how to prevent diseases. Um, so I'm really excited because um, around that same time, you know, all these big tech companies were popping up and machine learning and artificial intelligence have very much accelerated our understanding of even how drugs work in our bodies, how we discover drugs, and um, yeah, uh, medicine is very rapidly eh, improving. And I think within the next 10 to 20 years, we're gonna, be start, we're gonna start seeing a lot more of these um, genetic tests and um, artificial intelligence uh, aiding the physicians in being able to provide healthcare um, to people. And the reason that is important is because in the past, healthcare has kind of been like a one size fits all type of ordeal where um, 
if a person has cancer, we always give them chemotherapy. Um, and what we found over the years is that not everyone responds to chemotherapy the same. And again, that might be because of genetics. So the, the goal of healthcare in the 21st century is going to be really what's called personalized healthcare, where the healthcare that you receive is actually tailored to you um, using the information that we have. So that's really exciting. Um, and hopefully it will help a lot of people. That's amazing. I mean, seriously, like you just said, um, our, uh, our advances in technology and in the AI world, I mean, they said that um, this year or the next 10 years is kind of like it, anything could happen. I mean, the cure for, for, for cancer, the cure for things, the next jet 10 years, you could, we're going to, we're going to see like a, what do you call that? The, um, the exponential growth, right. In, um, in everything. Yeah. The exponential growth is, um, you know, already been going on. So I think, uh, when the internet started, you know, in the, the nineties, uh, that fundamentally changed how science was done, even just on a broad level. Um, the rate at which, scientists can communicate with each other now is um, pretty incredible. Um, what happens on the other side of the world is available to people on this side of the world within a matter of seconds. Um, with that though, there are a lot of challenges. Um, it's important to always verify anything that you read on the news now, um, especially when it comes to the genetic space. There's a lot of um, promises within uh, you know, news media or companies like, oh, we have a genetic test that can, you know, do this or this or this. Um, but it is very important to double check that those sources are verified by the scientific community and that they've been replicated. Um, uh, so I think it's very, very exciting for sure. <laughs> so, but that is one maybe uh, warning, just make sure you double check uh, news articles that you see because there is almost too much information now you want to make sure it's actually verified so then how do you do that like uh, for someone like me who have no idea which source <laughs> is is uh, the, the the reliable one what advice do you have on that um i think uh for the uh common person who's not too well versed about genetic uh, information uh if you see a news article and you don't see similar news articles within the next year or two, you're, it's probably not verified. <laughs> um, if you see repeated articles over time, like within, you know, multiple years, still saying that this is um, a possibility, then you can put a little bit more weight behind it. And even within the scientific community, it's, um, it's a long process. Uh, because you don't want to move too fast because when you're dealing with people's health care, um, it can mean um, improper diagnosis, which is not a good thing, obviously. So um, it does take time. So even though it's very exciting, I think there is a little bit of patience that needs to be involved. So, Yeah, and for sure, when it comes to health, everything, uh, especially in the North America side, we move so slowly in terms of uh, getting... Uh, FDA approved, getting that approved, that approved, like the legal, mm -hmm. the legislation, uh, all that process takes forever. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember on the European side, they have things that, that we don't have access to just because we're so mm -hmm. uh, political, I suppose. 
Yeah, we're political, but at the same time, like we have a very good reason for um, why the FDA moves as slowly as it has, because um, at least one of the things that all biomedical engineers always learn are is basically the case studies of what was called thalidomide. And thalidomide was a drug that was um, marketed in Europe, but one person in the FDA uh, looked at the science behind it and wasn't entirely sure, so they delayed it within the United States for several years, actually. And um, it turned out that that drug actually caused birth defects in women who took it. So the women were fine, but their children got birth defects um, when they were using this drug. And um, that's the reason why, you know, regulations are in place. Um, so yes, there are um, benefits. And unfortunately, um, it does mean that sometimes uh, treatments that could get out to people faster and could help people um, would be maybe expedited, but you also have to be very careful because um, in healthcare, everything that is given as a treatment could potentially cause more harm than good. Um, so you really wanna verify and make sure that um, the results are reproducible over a large scale, because um, people are very different. So some people might have no reaction, but for some people, the drug might actually kill them. So you have to be very careful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. If you haven't already, be sure to head over to iTunes, like and subscribe, give us that 5 star rating, and also do the same over at YouTube. We'll be slowly improving our video content there as well. Additionally, make sure to share this podcast with all your friends and family who might be interested. Lastly, if you want to help support us financially, head over to patreon.com slash talkwithtoe. Donating even 25 or 50 cents a month will help us keep the show on the air. And now, head back to the show. So when it comes to um, genetics testing and all that, mm -hmm. how, how early can we um, do that? Like as young or as old as possible? I mean, like, is there any limit in terms of age or health condition or anything like that? Yeah, there's not really a limit. Um, actually, genetic testing in uh, OBGYNs and uh, people who are looking to start families is been around for quite a while because you can, uh, there are certain diseases for uh, infants that they might have that could complicate pregnancies, for instance. So typically, um, a genetic test is taken just by default for people who are pregnant nowadays. Um, so that's maybe you would say like one end of the spectrum. Um, but at the same time, people who are older could still definitely get genetic tests because um, any information about your family can be shared with the rest of your family. Um, and anyone who's related to you can still benefit from knowing your genetic tests because um, it, it does affect them. And um, so I would say that um, getting a genetic test is also um, not just a one-time thing. Because um, we do know that uh, as you go out throughout your life, you will get genetic mutations. And um, that's pretty common within all people. And a lot of those mutations are pretty harmless. Like they don't really change much, but um, you want to also check like as you go out throughout life because there, there could be a change. And um, most of the time those changes aren't passed down to your children per se, but um, you do need to look at it over time. So just because you got to test once doesn't mean that you're like good. <laughs> <laughs> It's very interesting. You just pointed that out. If that's the case, then how often should we check back and do yeah. this testing? Yeah. Um, I think um, from 
that might be a discussion for your with your physician as well, um, because uh, again, if you have people in your family who, for instance, have breast cancer, you might want to check more often. Um, but for the for the normal person, like uh, it's not incredibly necessary, and like if you do it like once every like ten or so years, it it might not give you much information. Um, but again, this is constantly changing. So as the science improves. Uh, we might have different numbers about um, how often you should get these genetic tests. And again, like the financial aspect of the test is something to consider. Because um, right now, getting a, a genetic test every year is really just not financially a smart idea. And even doing it 10 years might not be really worth it. Um, but really, if you know that you have um, family members who have had diseases before that are known genetic diseases, you might want to at least start the conversation with your physician. Um, and then make the decision from there. Right. Okay, so we were talking earlier about um, uh, pregnant women, and I actually, I, I didn't want to interrupt you at that point because I really had this, this burning question. So you know how, how uh, because I, of course, I gave birth twice, so mm -hmm. I was definitely concerned uh, for the safety of the child just to see if there's any, if, if the development of the fetus is, is good. Like, can genetic testing, can, be, can it be done that early with the baby still being a fetus inside the mother's womb? Um, I'm not entirely sure because I'm not an OBGYN myself, but uh, yes, I think uh, the moment you uh, are pregnant, uh, that genetic code for the, for the child is not your genetic code anymore. Um, it's actually completely independent. So it may be a little bit more difficult to obtain um, you know, samples for a test while they're still within the womb, but it is possible. And um, it is done pretty frequently from my understanding, um, especially when um, there might be, uh, you know, risk for a disease like um, hemophilia, because that can really complicate pregnancies. Um, and, you know, blood tests are very common too, and blood tests are somewhat of an indirect uh, genetic test, so to speak, because your blood type is um, you know, affected by your genetics. So there are a lot of tests that are already done for um, people who are pregnant. And uh, usually those tests are done. And if you request it, you could probably see the results um, from the physicians, but they're usually just double checks to make sure that um, there will be no complications in the pregnancy. And if uh, the OBGYNs find a complication or at least a risk they are they usually inform you immediately so you know what chris um one of the trend nowadays when it comes to having babies especially for women who are career oriented is is they want to freeze their eggs mm -hmm. uh, until they either meet the right person or sometimes they don't even need to meet the right person they can still give birth mm -hmm. uh, as long as they give um you know freeze the egg and, and make sure that the egg is all good what are your uh, in your studies, was there anything, um, any, any light that you can shed on, on this topic in terms of freezing the eggs and any kind of impact, um, any effect on that? Yeah, um, there's, I don't personally have any uh, information on whether or not freezing the eggs or, or even sperm, for instance, um, affects the genetics. Um, but we do know that um, obviously it's possible and that people are born perfectly healthy with it. Um, uh, from uh, in vitro fertilization is what it's called. Um, um, there is 
a lot higher risk of miscarriage. Uh, but that is, uh, I think, just part and parcel of in vitro fertilization in general. Um, so there is a lot of research, at least within UCI, not within my laboratory themselves, but they look specifically at how can you um, look at these embryos that are, um, you know, fertilized outside the body and kind of determine which ones are the most likely to succeed. Um, that's a huge area of research within itself. That has a little bit less to do with genetics and more to do with um, kind of like physics and biology in general, but uh, that is definitely something that we know that it is a little bit more difficult to actually conceive when you're doing fertilization outside the body um, because it's just not the natural environment that um, a baby normally would be fertilized so right well okay yeah <laughs> um you know what one of the things you mentioned earlier was about sequencing our entire um our human dna like it mm -hmm. used to take what uh millions of dollars and now it's only yeah. a couple of thousand right yeah uh, and it, it's only a day or two now to, uh, to, to get it done yeah i think the human genome project that first human genome was upwards of a billion dollars almost and it took almost 10 years oh my god um, exactly so the breakthrough that we're having right now in terms of that alone is probably groundbreaking and, and we're at the frontier of so many uh, breakthroughs right now tell us a little bit about that like uh because that's your 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 that's your playground right there yeah yeah um so the genetic revolution as people have kind of been calling it is actually been going on for almost a decade now really it started in around 2007 2008 um there is a, a series of scientific discoveries that um was called next generation sequencing and that rapidly sped up the ability for us to um, both sequence DNA, but also um, reduce the cost by a lot as well. Because um, previously, uh, you know, if, you, if you're trying to spend a billion dollars per human genome, that's just not, you know, financially feasible, even within uh, research funded institutions. Like, that's just, there's no way you could do that. But really, it was a combination of a lot of different fields, a lot of different engineering fields, a lot of physicists, um, a lot of computer scientists, and a lot of electrical and mechanical engineers who um, were able to just combine these technologies that already existed and uh, has really changed the landscape of what is possible. So nowadays, if you go into any genetic lab, um, it's you're more likely to find a genetic sequencer that um, can do these types of sequencing things within, uh, you know, 48 hours. And, um, it's pretty amazing. So, yeah. I, I, I actually, I just remember the names of the, uh, the people that I was trying to, 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 to name earlier, which is Ray Kurzweil and uh, Peter Diam uh, Diamandis. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, their book on abundance and, and I mean, they are, they study and they invest in, in all those, um, the frontier of, of, of technology, AI, and all that stuff. And what you just mentioned uh, in terms of genetics, the human project genome, the, the human genome project. Yeah, I think that was part of their, um, it was, I think it was Peter who, um, who paid that prize. Like he, he, he put up that prize and, uh, and the person who did it uh, was for, I think he did it for 
how many thousand like the cost was so much less right so i mean that is an amazing um breakthrough what what are the the near future breakthroughs that that you are kind of in the know of right now that you can share with us <laughs> yeah um i think predictive medicine uh is probably the next step in how we uh, give medicine and what that is is basically um there are a lot of governmental institutions that are basically just collecting genetic information for um, people across their, their countries. And the reason that is important is because the more information you have from more different people, um, it allows us to have more accurate um, predictions about what happens within populations, especially about diseases. So for instance, um, I'm working with a database of about half a million people, which you know, 10 years ago would have been unheard of to have that much genetic information um, just sitting in a, a server somewhere. Um, but now this is very commonplace and it's going to become more commonplace. Um, the, I think the NIH has also started an initiative um, back during Obama's presidency that is basically going to do the same thing because the, the, this current database that I'm using is from the UK, um, but the United States is about to start or has started the initiative to do the same. China is about to do the same too. And you're gonna start seeing a lot of these genetic databases that will be housing people's genetic information for anywhere of upwards from half a million to a million and beyond. And that will really change what we know about genetics. Um, because unfortunately, a lot of our genetics right now information is pretty much constrained to a certain few set of countries. So um, specifically uh, Western Europe and the United States. So there are some issues with that because um, those populations are primarily Caucasian and uh, the predictions work pretty well between Caucasians and Asian people. But when it is applied to African people, it doesn't always work as well um, because the genetics are just different. Right. Um, so as we get more of this information, um, we're going to be seeing a lot more of these um, basically these treasure troves of information and yeah. artificial intelligence is going to be playing a huge role in just being able to understand it because um, computationally it is very difficult to um, make these models be accurate without a lot of information so so this is where AI comes in right this is, yeah this is where AI data. comes in right. yeah so the the AI revolution you know a lot of people have seen that as uh, kind of separated into, you know, Google, Amazon, those type of companies. Um, but a lot of those companies have a very large investment in the biotech space as well. Um, you might not hear about it as much, but, um, you know, companies like IBM, Microsoft, they all at this point have um, very large investments in the biotech sector because, um, yeah, just medicine is very complicated. and um, just having humans sort through the information is just not going to be possible. So the artificial intelligence is going to play a huge role in informing physicians, um, even improving things like um, hospital efficiency, um, things like that. Um, also catching um, possibly misdiagnosis. Um, so there's going to be a lot of implementation of, uh, you know, using your health records to um, hopefully maybe stop a misdiagnosis for another person um, so that information is out there but right now it's very disconnected 
Uh -huh. So. Yeah, well, if, if we're gonna talk, if we're gonna just talk about AI and all that. I mean, that'll be. I, I could go. I could interview you on days on that topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a very, it's a very large topic and it covers a lot of fields. So yeah. Right. So you being in the field, in the playground of genetic studies and all that, if you could wave a magic wand, <laughs> if you could design a machine or a device, what would that be? Uh. I would probably want something that can uh, basically take in all the information in one place. Because <laughs> um, I think one of the most uh, frustrating parts about um, working in the field right now is that there is a lot of information, but like I said before, that information is very separated. Um, so, you know, the UK has their own thing, the United States has their own thing. Um, your hospital in Orange County might have their own health system with all their information, but, you know, a hospital even in like Los Angeles has a completely different health system and the way they store their data is completely different. Um, so that's probably one of the most frustrating things right now is because as researchers, a lot of our time is mostly spent just trying to collect this information that is already there and like reorganizing it uh, into a way that is usable by us. Um, so probably just the system that does that. <laughs> I, I think that is coming soon with the AI being, uh, you know, uh, so advanced right now. Yeah. Like in the next 10 years, do you think we're going to have um, major breakthroughs in the next 10 years or are we looking at a 20 year time span? What do you think? Um, that's a little bit hard to say right now. I think for um, at least in the biotech sector, it's probably going to be a little bit longer because mm -hmm. Um, there is a lot more regulation when it comes to um, implementing any type of um, computer-based algorithm within uh, the health sciences because there isn't really a legal framework for it either. Um, okay. The FDA, uh, there is a lot of Supreme Court cases about whether or not um, computer algorithms can be patentable. Um, I'm not really sure what the results of that were, but I do know that... Um, there's not many companies that have FDA approval to use a specific algorithm to predict healthcare outcomes and that type of thing. Um, I think Edwards Life Sciences uh, is one of the few companies that has an FDA approved device that incorporates uh, like a machine learning algorithm within the device. Um, so it's, it's gonna be a slower process, I think, with the FDA. Um, you're going to see a lot of advancements in other fields like, you know, self-driving cars, although that might also be subject to regulation soon, um, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we actually are almost running out of time. So I wanted to open up uh, to the uh, floor for questions. Uh, so if you have any questions, feel free to type it in. Uh, but, but Chris, so before, while we wait for that, how about, can you um, summarize a little bit in terms of what you see, or this is your own view of what's happening in, in our industry, in your industry. Mm. Yeah, I think um, it's very clear to me, at least, that uh, genetic testing is going to be playing a huge role in how doctors diagnose and also just make decisions about um, giving people treatment options. Um, so I think we're heading to, we're getting to the point where personalized healthcare is becoming more feasible. Um, but the biggest hurdle is really going to be more infrastructure than anything else. Um, setting up the systems to support 
those doctors' decisions is going to be a huge engineering task in itself. And that's going to take a lot of people from a lot of different sectors, you know, um, administrators, hospital administrators, um, technicians, uh, even like internet service providers. And um, that type of stuff is going to need to be in place first before we can really benefit from all the genetic information that is coming in. So. That's great. Thank you for that uh, little summary right there. But you know what? I don't see any questions. So I do have one last question for you. And this is a, a kind of a, an exciting place that I'm curious about. It's about genetic mutations. Mm -hmm. So so you know how it is when I watch a lot, well, not a lot, but a few sci-fi movies where we can choose which genes to have. And, uh, and, uh, and, and then, is that possible? <laughs> um, so... In short, to some degree, yes. Um, I'm not sure if you are aware of uh, what happened in China, but there was a scientist who um, genetically engineered some human embryos and carried them to term. Um, wow. And that was very controversial because um, for, for the most part, most everyone in the scientific community knows that that's probably not a good idea because uh, even be though we've had this technology for a while, we've had the ability to edit genomes for well over a decade at this point. Um, we, we know that it's probably not a good idea because we don't necessarily know the effects. Um, we don't know enough about the human genome um, to actually be able to say that what will happen to the person and also what will happen maybe generations down the line if this person passes that mutation on to people. Um, so the short answer is it is possible and it has been done, although a lot of people were very, very angry that it happened because even within the scientific community, because we're nowhere near the, um, an understanding of being able to know what that's going to do to people and also just the general population at large. Um, yeah, because the way I describe it to people is that we don't even agree how many genes exist in the human genome. <laughs> within the scientific community. There's a lot of estimates that say about 20,000, um, but there are um, estimates that go as low as 19,000 and as high as 25,000 genes. And those are just genes that code for proteins. So there's an entire section of the human genome where we don't actually know what the genetic code does. It's there. Um, it might have to do with expression, like we said before. It might um, just be spacer information, genetic information, but we don't actually know. Um, so that's, that's kind of the view of most uh, geneticists and scientists, I would say, is that we can do it. It's not a good idea. Right now. <laughs> well, yes. And also the, the legalities and because then it's almost like we'll be God. We can just create certain human yes. beings. Yeah. It's, um, you get into the realm of eugenics, which is, you know, very much, uh, a very controversial topic and uh you know that's basically what a, a lot of the nazis were <laughs> trying, to, <laughs> trying to go for so yeah there's a lot of ethical issues with that and um <clears throat> you can't really um separate the ethical issues from genetics and, and that's just the reality and i think doing so is uh really dangerous because it has a lot of implications beyond um science and medicine it has implications within society as well so 
for sure, for sure. And and yeah. the movie industry. I mean, for them to to come up with all of these ideas and of the movies and 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 of that. I mean, it kind of affects us in a way. I know it certainly affected me in the sense that I said, "Oh man, that is cool. Would it be nice if I could just pick out what my son would have?" <laughs> Yeah, it it would be nice, but again, like at the same time, uh, it it does beg the question of like what makes us human, right? Like, yeah, at, yeah, totally. At what, point, right? at what point does uh, at what point do we change something that it 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 stops us from being human? You know? Yeah, <laughs> so. and exactly. And in that movie, I forgot the title of that movie now, but literally, the person who was born naturally with all the human flaws, he in the end saved his mm -hmm. brother who was genetically designed to be perfect with all the strength and, and smartness and intelligence. But here, the, the end of that movie, the storyline was that uh, this normal human being was actually superior mm -hmm. because he was with flaws, but because he is human, he's able to actually do things that his, uh, his genetically created brother couldn't do. So <laughs> yeah, I, I think the way I would say it to people is that um, anyone who has been in the field long enough realizes how much they do not know mm -hmm. about um, the human genetic landscape and just how it affects even how we develop. Um, and we don't even know how it affects, you know, what happens to our brains. And that's a whole other subfield that is something that's really just a mystery to a lot of scientists. So. Well, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for being on the show today and telling us about a little bit, a glimpse of what the future holds with, uh, with your studies. Um, it's been very, I wish I had more time to interview you because this is a topic that we could talk about days. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's a lot to cover and it's, it's very difficult to really even hit even a small part of it because you could yeah. go all over the place. So. Well, I drilled you pretty good today. I feel pretty happy. <laughs> yeah, me, I enjoy these questions. Yeah, you, you gave me a, a, a good glimpse of, uh, of our current uh, technology and what's, where it's heading and, and the good and the bad and why. So that's amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for being on the show. Happy yeah. holidays to you. Thank you. Happy holidays. Thanks for tuning into this podcast. Be sure to head over to iTunes. Give us that five-star rating. You can also find us on Spotify and Google Play. Talks with Toe is written and produced by Chris Toe.